0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is the third podcast in our sequence discussing the effect of the coronavirus pandemic on the mental health of children and young people. With me to discuss that this week is Kate Day, Managing Director of KRD Training. Kate, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it, Gavin. Thank you. So before we start looking
0: at the effects of the lockdown, can you briefly tell us a little bit about the work that you do supporting the mental health of children?
1: I bring about 30 years experience of working with children, young people and their families. I started off in working in probation, in working in youth offenders. And now, since then over the years, I have now come to manage my own practice in schools, set up some of the first practices in primaries and secondary in the Southwest, and have my own private clinic as well, and in that, I supervise other mental health uh, trained professionals and therapists. So my main practice in schools is to work with a wide range of children. They're presenting different issues from self-harm, eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder and even more concerning in these times is suicidal ideation. And these children range between 10 to 18 but also in my private clinic, I work with university level students as well. My other role is to actively campaign and lobby uh, to make sure for the rights of children to have good mental health services and also for counsellors to be involved in the consultation of that process. So I actively campaign with the APPG and I'm also a child ambassador for the National Counselling Society
0: fantastic and we're going to pick up several of the things you've talked about uh, over the next few minutes. Given the experience that you've just discussed and thinking about the coronavirus lockdown, what have been the effects that you've seen over the last 12 months or so on the mental health of children and young people?
1: Well, I have seen at times devastating effects over the last 12 months. Prior to the pandemic, there was a a feeling that our young people, there was a mental health crisis. So in a way, for us as practitioners, we're just working with something that's familiar to us, but we are also seeing other children obviously affected by this pandemic. The main concern for me is that suicide is the leading cause of death for children between the age of 5 to 18 years old. Now, this is a shocking statistic. You know when I first started working uh, campaigning it was the leading cause of death for young males and now in the last three years it's for females. Now for me that is that's a serious issue and again I've been a, a huge concern for those affected during this year and we don't know what might be the statistics going forward in response to that but I do have a lot of people reporting in my team and in my training that suicidal ideation and suicide attempts have increased due to the pandemic. Pressures of education, you know, concerns about, you know, the effect of online learning and loss of learning. Social media has become an issue. You know, many young people have been isolated in their bedrooms, in their rooms and turning to social media for company and I think that there is a lot of anxiety from people. One of the key effects is prior to this children took to the streets to campaign about the climate crisis and here they have another situation that has deeply affected them and come as a surprise. You know, it's not something that they were aware of, and that's become deeply, deeply distressing for many young people. We're also seeing increased levels of self harm. That's been an issue for a very long time, and it often goes through sort of patterns. You know, we get, we notice in mental health there'll be periods of quite prolific self harm amongst maybe young females. But recently what we're beginning to see is eating disorders and self-harm starting to develop as young as eight years old. I think the, the other major effect is the lack of purpose, this kind of sense of uncertainty, and their sense of infallibility, you know, which is so crucial it's so crucial for that developmental stage to feel, you know the world is mine and I am invincible. And this particular, you know, the, the pandemic has brought about that sense of, I'm no longer infallible anymore. And that causes quite a lot of deep rooted uncertainty, fear. I think people, maybe as adults and the press, have kind of misinterpreted youth as being kind of a state of adult cognition with a streak of ignorance. And I think they fail to see how precarious young people feel and how raw their emotions are and how particularly sensitive they may be to internalising all these external fears at this time. And as one of the 17 year olds that I work with reported in his own words, he says, as you are alone with your thoughts a lot, there is no one or nothing to keep in check any insecure thoughts. I believe these are internalised and young people feel even more social pressure now, perhaps when they did face-to-face. Instead of battling the sometimes eventful but ultimately monotonous life as a student, they are battling the wilds of their imaginations. And I thought that was an absolutely, you know, very profound quote from somebody who feels very deeply about the pandemic effect. And a lot of young people are reporting this internal voice that is quite torturous because they haven't got the distraction. And I think that that has a f- profoundly affected young people's mental health. And do you think the things that you've been talking about, is it primarily
0: the, the lack of structure of being at school? Is it the lack of interaction with friends? Is it stress from parents? Is it just the... the overall doom and gloom in the media are there particular things that are driving this or is it just a big combination of all of those
1: well I think it's many of the things that you said Gavin and you know I'm particularly you know I'm picking up on the doom and gloom of the media absolutely many young people I think what the pandemic has brought about is an intense intensity you know people living in intense environments uh, I think you know before many people might not have been placed together for so much of a time in such a way. Um, I think you know, this kind of like idea of young people sort of reporting cabin fever, you know, and that's not just young people, that's adults too, you know, this kind of sense of, um, yeah, this is just too much. But in terms of those children that are really living in intense environments, you know, stressful situations, maybe abusive situations, you know, there is a lot of parental burnout. There's a lot of young children that are concerned about parents. You know, maybe they are supporting somebody with mental health themselves. They are actually concerned about their parents' unemployment or the financial insecurity, you know, of parents saying we can't afford that. What are we going to do? And, th- you know, money and poverty, we know, has a devastating effect on children's mental health. There's a lot of young carers as well that I'm concerned about that maybe had not been fully supported through the lockdown. And I certainly have been supporting very vulnerable young carers. I've got one child that I've been supporting for a period of time. She is 14 years old. Her mother is disabled. She's a single parent. Her brother has autism and her brother has violent fits and rages. And a drug addiction. And whilst he doesn't live with the family, during just before the pandemic, he was evicted from his house. And so, therefore, he has returned back to the house. Now, having this 14 year old girl navigating a disabled mother, a brother that is violent and addicted, all she's had during this time for being fully isolated is me every week. On Zoom. You know, that's what she's had. That's been her lifeline. That's what's been significant, important to her. So, yes, she's had a a certain interaction with school, but she was nervous to go to school because of her mum's disability of, of catching any virus. So there are not all children that were vulnerable return to school. That that's a key key factor that's concerning. I also have another young person I'm working with that is again from a single parent family um, who is supporting his mother through a terminal diagnosis of cancer. Now, whilst we are having they're having you know the carers come in and support, he is again fifteen years old. He's trying to make sense of this. He has no peers to see. There's no socialisation. And, you know, in terms of what they're carrying, that emotional effect is, is huge. I think schools, as you mentioned, schools, you know, schools can be a place of safety for these children and many children that have mental health difficulties. Closing schools, in a sense, closes lives. And that's what I've seen and many, many you know, young people experience that, you know, the difficulties with that and that sense of social isolation, as I was saying earlier, children going to their rooms. And the result of this and the impact of this is devastating impact on sort of loneliness. You know, the feeling of feeling very alone in the world, not just adults, but young people have been feeling this. And they're reporting feelings of depression and anxiety as well. And they turn to social media for the connection and, they begin to compare themselves and we see social media having a huge impact on young people. Many young people report to me how they feel they, they need to, they're not as liked, they're not as popular, they might be being targeted or bullied on, online and there's no escape for it and a lot of these issues lead to sort of low self-esteem and I think one of the reasons we're seeing an issue with eating disorders is with the younger ages is because of their access to to social media and the images, the perfect images of what you should look like, and this is affecting males and females equally. And lastly, in terms of uh, driving effects, is you know we can't leave out county lines. You know this is something that is have been an sh- extreme concern of those that work on the ground for a very long time. I'm glad that now we're starting to see some action around county lines, but it it, it is very prevalent. And talking to people yesterday, uh, from all over the country, they are reporting the same. The amount of young people they're seeing, younger and younger, that are addicted, that are, are sort of being used as drug mules. And for some children, as, for as young as 11, now they see that every day, regular drug use has become a norm. And the reason I mentioned this effect is because during the lockdown, where they weren't able to always access the drug, what I was finding was that young people were compensating that with alcohol. So they were finding other ways to compensate this addiction. And I think when I asked them why they do it, They do it because they're replacing feelings of numbness, boredom, fear, anxiety, and an almost disillusionment with what's happening around them. So the concern there is that mental health issues can develop into psychosis, drug-induced psychosis. And that is something that seriously, I think is going to be an issue for us going forward. To what extent do you think the
0: end of the lockdown and the opening up of schools and the restarting more widely of society will solve some of the problems you've described? And to what extent is there going to be a long-term
1: legacy that needs to be addressed? It's multi-layered. That response there isn't really an easy answer to that. In terms of whether the pandemic has made, it's been worse and the mental health has been more concerning, I think for some the pandemic has improved their mental health in lockdown. And they might be particularly people that struggle, maybe have anxiety disorders, social anxiety disorders or panic disorders, and the actual taking away the thing that caused concern, i.e. school or socialising or those educational pressures, has been actually beneficial for them. And then on the other side, you've got others with mental health issues prior to the pandemic, where the pandemic has increased the severity of their mental health. And it's deepened because now we have another anxiety, uh, one that I cannot control, that's completely out of my control. And then we've got another group of children where they have not experienced in their life that feeling of isolation or depression or fear in the way. And they might not have the tools to cope like those children that had had support, maybe previous support to the pandemic, like counselling or mental health services. So we're dealing with almost like three different groups of children here. And I think prior to the pandemic, one in eight children were diagnosed with a mental health issue. And now we're seeing an increase during the pandemic to one in six. So we know that the pandemic has had an effect in that sense. But the concern is only a quarter of these children between five and 19 actually were seen by mental health specialists in this past year. So that means that three quarters of those children, with the mental health issue, have not had any contact with any services. You were saying in response to, you know, you know, what might be the legacy. Long term legacy is, is uncertainty. When will it end? If ever that's a lot of questions a lot of young people are sort of saying, well, I don't believe what adults are telling me anymore. You know, I don't believe I don't have faith in what, you know, big people are telling me anymore because you told me it was all okay. And look, I went back to school for one day and the next day I was in lockdown and I didn't know this was happening. So there's a lot of uncertainty and mistrust, which we have to work hard to rebuild as adults. So that kind of uncertainty is a legacy. The other legacy is that a lot of young people are feeling responsible. They're feeling a sense of responsibility as this generation, you know, how do we move forward? You know, what are we responsible for? One moment we're accused of being super spreaders, you know, and we don't want to harm our loved ones or our family members. But yet I want to go out and I want to be with my friends and I want to go to concerts and festivals. And the next, this kind of will the next strain that come be targeted at me. And so what they're saying is that what I'm feeling from them is they're saying this mass uncertainty is causing a less of kind of sense of hopelessness. The idea that just overnight the world shut down with very little notice was shocking for adults. I can't begin to imagine what that must be like for a young child. But that suddenly, you know, the world too, we're not unable to touch. We're unable to hug our grandparents. We're seeing everybody in masks, seeing the world, you know, everything stop. So I think that kind of legacy, we will have to really kind of work hard with supporting young people to instill confidence and a sense of belonging backing, fostering a sense of belonging and resilience going forward. Let me take
0: you into the, the world now of policy and what interventions could be done to try and address some of the things you've been talking about. I know you're an active external member of the all-party parliamentary group on a fit and healthy childhood. How does the APPG and your work in it been looking at these issues and what is it likely to be recommending?
1: The APPG on the fit and healthy childhood has worked so hard to campaign and promote mental health. On February the 8th, we called an emergency meeting to encourage campaigning on child mental health, to campaign for the recommendations outlined in the 2017 Green Paper. We are hoping the government will attend to. The suggestions and recommendations made in the 2017 Green Paper, and also the act, you know, the recommendations that were made in our mental health reports, and that's something that we feel really passionate. We hope the government is going to attend to, because those recommendations are based on a lot of us saying people that have worked on the ground, people that are saying this is what works. Please consult with us before policy decisions are made around child mental health. We've done a lot of rec- uh, work also on the importance of play because we know that you know, there's been a you know, withdrawal from physical activity and play. And we want to drive the idea that we create fun spaces for children to play and explore and have a childhood. You know, allow the ability to for free play because we know that play is actually one of the singly most important things for promoting good, good mental health. We also, we've done a lot of reports, you know, well-being in nature, physical and emotional security in childhood and the impact of socialisation. And we did, recently did a report on what the impact of physical contact might be for children during the COVID. Looking at the impact of pandemic on children with disabilities, that's been an important aspect for us. And at the moment, what we're doing is we're now looking at the COVID generation. So our next report coming out is about the effects of children, young people during the pandemic.
0: So finally, then, if you were in government, what would you actually like to see the government do to start tackling some of these issues in the next sort of 12 to 18 months?
1: Firstly, I would say that it's crucial that the children's mental health is a priority in the new NHS long-term plan. We need to start seeing that mental health is as vital as physical health and ensuring that good mental health is from the point of conception. Now I always find it incredibly powerful to think that 90% of a child's brain is developed before the age of three. That tells me everything about early prevention and ensuring that right from the start. Secondly, we need to invest more in specialist services such as counselling um, and play therapy and ensure that there are in house counselling services in schools. So, because children are then free to access that service within the school setting, because sometimes being at home, as we've known over the years, if they don't have that private space at home. And so they have that sense of autonomy if it's in in school. And we're looking at providing that provision in-house from primary right up to university level. Because prevention is the key. There's been a lot of reaction to crisis mental health, but often this is too late, you know, and we see this in in response to the suicide uh, rates for young people. So early prevention, better early prevention for children and families and local communities. And this is especially important in semi and rural areas. You know, I live in the southwest, I live in Devon in the southwest, and access to services, mental health service, means a long journey. Now that's difficult when parents are working and they can't get the child there, or it might be difficult for the child to access that on themselves because of public transport. So actually bringing that within the schools and within the community feel, would fill a really significant factor. But above all, for me, above anything, is to involve children and young people. Any discussions in politics and policy regard to children needs to focus on everyday care. Governments need to listen to children and young people, have direct consultation with them, talk to them what do they need for their mental health and well-being because many of the young people report to me in when they do surveys in schools the most helpful service in schools was the counselling so even through cuts you know where we've seen enormous cuts in education when the schools have gone and done a survey what works for you counselling was the one thing that kept coming back and so many services have kept that going schools have kept that going I would like to see the government promote the youth voice in a much more proactive way, You know, create youth leadership in youth groups and press conferences, you know, to actually answer the questions and take their questions and to take their questions seriously. Because in my experience, and I see the responses coming back from young people, they have a lot to say. And sometimes it's incredibly wise And I think it's time for us to to turn and listen to that. Maybe also understanding for me, the message towards government and policymakers is that sometimes our adult discussions around child mental health becomes too focused on measuring outcomes, you know, funding and statistics. And, you know, in a sense, most young people thrive mostly from compassionate and honest relationships not from measured outcomes and statistics. You know, they're an important factor, but if we really listen to young people, they're saying it's the, it's the relationship. So investing in a humanistic model, not just clinical models is, in terms of mental health support is vital. And I think one of the questions that government sometimes get concerned about is the cost. You know, the cost that's involved in this. But we are aware for many years that, see, white, you know, children, young people's mental health has been in decline, and in a sense, we need to take a roots-up approach rather than a sticky plaster that fits all. And whilst initial costs are outlaid you know, in in sort of counselling services or therapeutic services, it is far more cost-effective in in the mid to long term in terms of the systemic impact. Because as the APPG's ethos is, childhood lasts a lifetime. Sometimes people say to me, how can you work in area of such trauma? Why do you do what you do? And I say over and over again, I do what I do because if I could be that person to be with them in that moment of darkness, or I could be that person to give them just even the smallest piece of light to believe in them and give them faith in who they are. But most importantly, it's not their fault. You know, so many young people carry into their adult life blame and shame and guilt from the traumas and difficulties that happen in their childhood. And to be in that position to say, you know, it's not your fault. That can that that message can can be worth And a value for them lifelong.
0: That's uh, a wonderful message of where we must finish. Uh, Kate Day, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Gavin. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Kate Day, Managing Director of KRD Training topic of the effect of the coronavirus lockdown on mental health of children and young people is the subject of a webinar being hosted by the Foundation on the 24th of March. Details of that webinar, which is free to attend, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on the website are details of all our other events, our blogs, journal and all previous editions of this podcast. Next week, in the final podcast on this topic, we'll be hearing directly from a young person about their mental health and the effect that the pandemic and the lockdown has had on them.